of our topic today is about the early rain. And the Lord provided the object lesson. And the rain is, any rain is very good for people. Number one, you don't have a choice, you have to be here. You cannot be there on the lake. And second thing is, when it rains after lunch, I like to speak after lunch during the rain. I never have opposition. Everybody is approving what I'm saying. It's nice to be with you here as we are studying probably one of the most important parts of the Bible. It's our means for the consecration. And today we are going one step further. You have not been here before if you did not attend yesterday. It's important if you watch yesterday what was about because our today's study is built on what we studied yesterday. And tomorrow it follows. So it's a series, five steps to an understanding of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit. But we ha- before we begin with our study, I hope you have your Bibles in your hands. Can I have it? Can I see it? Please, electronic version accepted. Hold it. Lord, thank you for this book. We are so blessed by turning the pages of this book that we can hear your word. Father, we are not here to listen to human beings. We are just mortal people, sinful people who need salvation from, from you. So please be with us and help us that we can together study this topic. But what's most important that we can feel it's free. After leaving this camp meeting, that we can understand that we are not left on our own that our everyday existence depends on you. Thank you, Father. We pray all of this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our topic today is what the early rain is all about. with the story before we go to the text. It was about 23, 24 years ago. I was for the first time in Israel. Since that time I was numerous times, but this was the first time with about 25 students. We lived for three months in Jerusalem. Wow, huh? My students were taking classes, and then we made a number of trips in different parts of Israel, in Turkey and Egypt. However, when we were in Jerusalem, we had to go down to Jericho, we had to go to Dead Sea, we had to go to different parts of Judea. 
don't know how many of you who are sitting here, you ever visited Israel. And I don't know after visiting that country, what your view of Israel is all about. Let me just summarize in three points. When you leave Jerusalem, and when you go down to Jericho, you feel pressure in your ear, like in the pressure test, because you are going down to get to Jericho. It is about 30 kilometers, about 20 miles, maybe a little bit more. And you are driving, going down by bus or by car. All that you can see is the desert. It's the sand. You see nothing else. And it's miles and miles, miles and miles. When we went to Beersheba, half of Israel is like that. And did I mention from Jerusalem to Jericho? What was the first city that the people of Israel occupied after passing Jordan River to conquer Canaan. What was the first city? Jericho. It is on that spot that they passed River Jordan. Looked into the promised land. And they looked into the promised land. What did they see? on, you're saying desert. But you remember what were they told. What was the land where they were going to, to settle? The land of milk and honey. As we were there, my students were coming constantly to me and asking questions. Prof, is this the land of the milk and honey? Of course, when you go to Samaria, second time, in the north, and go to Galilee, it's a little bit better, but it's not like America. It seems too much stones. You know, I think some of you are Italian. You know what I'm talking about. Completely different. And my students constantly were asking me, Prof, is this the land of milk and honey? And you know, when you're a professor, you know everything. At least you pretend. I try to explain to them, you know, maybe during these several thousand years, you know, geography is changed. Probably I was right. Professors are always right. But I realized we were wrong. Because we visited the small town Modin, where the Maccabean revolt started. Some of you are familiar with that. Once again, we are in a group. And my students asked me, Prof, really, you need the answer to our question. We are pastors. We have to preach. We have to explain to our people. We'll tell them what kind of country is Israel. And I looked. I did not know the answer. When we finished and everything, I left the group. We had a tourist guide. He was a lady 
temos aqui em Cádiz e o Cibro Universal. Aqui quem come artistas? that every Protestant is asking when he or she goes to Cibre. I said, what is the answer? He said, tell your students to read the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 11. second person in my country who knows the Bible, but I never met the person. I thought that I knew every chapter of the Bible very well. So I invited my students. We read that chapter. Finally, all the small people, they sit together and they read. So please now, I'm inviting you. You don't even have to look here on your Bible. I just said that I love that I'd like to suggest to you when you get back to your room that you can read the whole context. But let me just give you an introduction. You know what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. It's the last speech of Moses to the people of Israel before Moses died and before the people of Israel went to the promised land. It was just on the even the threshold of River Jordan passing river. You know that. And Moses knew that when people cross the river Jordan, when they see that land of milk and honey, they will ask the same question that 7,000 years later the students will ask around the Stephanus. So Moses knew who that issue is telling to the people. So please, let us read it together. Please allow me, I have to make two comments about what we are reading. Just a minute. Are you ready? Let's go there. Moses said, there is text before that. I would suggest to you to go to the second text. Moses said, for the land that you are entering to take possession of, it is not like the land of Egypt. By the way, when I read with my students these words, I added not only the land of Egypt that is south of Israel, I added also the country of Turkey or ancient Anatolia that was on the north of Israel. So Israel was sandwiched. Are, are you friends with me? What is about these two lands? Plenty of water. It's like a garden of Eden. It's, 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 it's gorgeous. Everything is green. When you go to Israel, everything is green. That's what Moses is telling them. For the land that you are entering to take possession of it, it's not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. Please, allow me now. Can we just stop a little bit? Let me explain. What is that Moses said? What was the kind of the land that they came from? 
then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will cut off the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the land will be yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly of the good land that the Lord is giving you. You like this one? You got the answer. Okay, okay. Let's 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 follow follow. Friends, how many times I hear with our dear my dear from my dear brothers and sisters, if I am God, I would do different. You said it. And at this moment I can tell you, if I was a God, I would bring the people of Israel everywhere but Palestine. The worst land that you can bring them. After all, Jordan, where is Arabic land? I will not bring them. So the question is, why did God choose Palestine as the promised land for his people? I remember when I was a pastor, we had a church board meeting, and we had probably some questions. They really were just awesome. Okay. And then, during the meeting, I tried to hold down my, my, my the members of the, of the church board. And by the way, we had a super deacon here. And then, the Sabbath school superintendent, he stood up and he said, you know, I can tell you at that moment, the church elders, we had such the best church elders that I had. He stood up. He put his hand on his shoulder and said, please, please sit down. I'm so glad that we are here. Why did God choose Palestine as the promised land? the very first meeting of Jesus before taking. It connects Asia with Africa. It's when the cross goes that way. And God wanted Israel to be his missionary field, his shooting field. That's number one. We know that. But there is a second reason, and this is what Moses stressed in the text that we read from Deuteronomy chapter 11. What was the second reason? That God wanted to choose the people of Israel as God's dependent is mentioned in the Old Testament is the Passover 
totally idolater around Israel. If Israel is faithful to God, faithful to the covenant promise, God promised to them that he will give them the source of all blessings, and that was the rain. And that the rain is explained and clarified in terms of the early rain and the latter rain. And so please now, allow me that we spend a few minutes to talk about this concept of the early and the latter rain, and you know why. We will explain in few, a few minutes. Because I need Seventh-day Adventists, my dear brothers and sisters on all continents, in all countries, we all have the same, the same problem as well. The way how we explain the concept of the early and the latter rain. So now let me explain what the early and the latter rain is all about. And I hope that that graphic there can, can little bit explain to us. You see, if you go to Israel, from March or April, and you are there until September or October, will be at the time of so-called the dry season. As I told you, I lived in Jerusalem for three months. I lived during, during that transitional period. And I was numerous times in Israel, 20 days and, 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 and more, always during this period. Only once I remember we were in Nazareth, we just had a shower for two minutes and it stopped. It's a dry season. There is no rain. Are you friends with me? No rain. And then everything changes. Good idea to do that. I apologize. I just prepared this, this PowerPoint this morning. I, I, I apologize. You should reverse September, October to put there the first one and March, April to put to put the second one. Oh, I apologize. I apologize. I, I just noticed it now this morning. But everything changes in September and October. When you have a suddenly the pouring of the rain. It was the time when they would put the grain in the ground and the rain would come and make it possible for agric agriculture to begin. And then somewhere March, April, there is the conclusion of that rain season. Just before the harvest, there was a need for abundant rain to, 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 to fall down. And with that, the rain season was concluded. No rain any longer, just within two weeks, there will be harvest and celebration. Please, I put here some of the things I hope that you will see soon. You see, what happens in September and October, don't look into my graph, oh boy, I, I want to help now, I, I, I'm not helping too much. September, October, when that rain begins, is called the early rain. And what happens in March, April, 
at the end of the rainy season, they called it the latter rain. Three, three. Let's, let's go. I, I put it there. But for some between the early and the latter rain, it's the rain season. Please, please, one more time. Because too many times people come to talk to me, and they're talking about two rains in Israel, early and the latter rain. There are no two rains. It's one rain. It's the rain season that begins with the early rain. Are you friends with me? It begins with the early rain and concludes with the latter rain. What comes between are occasional showers, making the crops ready for the third harvest. Are you friends with me? Here you see the application. This is the truth about the early and the latter rain, rain season. Here we come to spiritual conclusion, okay? Just rain in the Bible among ancient Israelites was a sign of God's care for his people. I know so many times we don't feel it in our modern age when we have the water system and we live in, in, in a special time. But in ancient Israel, rain was crucial for the existence and survival. So in ancient Israel, rain was a sign of God's care for his people. Israel's prosperity was not a result of their ability and attainment. Yeah, we talked already about that. It was not what they achieved. It was based on what God gave them. Okay? So it was a gift from God. And second thing, all the people of Israel achieved was given to them by God. It was not a result of their personal achievement. That's number one. Rain was a sign of God's care for his people. On the flip side, the absence of rain was a sign of the broken covenant relationship with God. And I hope that all of us, we can recall some events in the Bible when Israel became unfaithful to God and overcame. A terrible famine hit the land. We know it's probably the most important event that happened during the prophet Elijah. Israel became unfaithful to the covenant. They broke relationship with God. You remember, and after the event on the Carmel, they returned back to God. You remember, the rain came. The same you can read in the book of Joel. You can read in many different parts of the, of the, of the Old Testament. Okay? We already mentioned Joel. Such a covenant spirit came during the time of Joel. Probably... The book of Joel was written somewhere in the 8th century during the terrible apostasy of the people of Israel. So the locusts came after a terrible famine in the land and they completely devastated and destroyed the land. So now God sent the prophet Joel to them, urging people for formation, to repentance. He calls the priests, he calls everybody, everybody, come return back to God. God will have a mercy on you. And now it is leading that, that Joel gives the promise 
the promise of God to the people when they returned back, uh, uh, returned to God. And he said, be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain. Now please pay attention. The early and the latter rain, as before, the threshing floors shall be full of grain, the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wonderfully with you and my people shall never again be put to shame. Now people, people notice here when there is no rain. People of Israel are put to shame. Okay? You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. This is the blessing, the blessing that he has given. The message of Joel was that the Lord has given the early rain for your vindication. People were put under the shame. Surrounding nations were talking. This is his chosen people. That God brought him out of the land of Egypt. This is that in the worst situation that we are. God says, when you come back to me, I will turn my face toward you. And I will give you the early rain. And Joel said, you shall be given for your vindication. But then Joel adds something else. He has, he has also poured down for your abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. It's a token of blessing. It's a token of God's care for his people. Then Joel, from this temporary and physical blessing that was announced to the people of Israel, gave them grief. Now this is very, very important point in our study. He's taking them one step further. From the spiritual and physical blessing, he's now taking them to one step of further pointing to spiritual blessing that God will bestow upon his people. And then he said, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. You will notice here that for the first time in the Bible, one prophet of God takes the concept of the early and the latter rain and gives to it a spiritual application and applies it to the Holy Spirit. Did you notice? He said what you, the people of Israel, people in the land, what you have just experienced when you came back to God, when you repaired that broken covenant with God, when, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you did it, do you see how great blessings came to you? And those blessings are expressed in terms of the early 
and the latter one did not eat. But then man said, Ask, if you turn to God with your whole heart, he will do something for you. Something that is more than just temporary repentance and revival that you, that you, that you, that you have. God will do something for you even more than you can imagine. What will God do to you? He will pour out on you special early and the latter rain. But this is not a physical rain. Special and pour upon you by spirit. And your elderly people and young kids, male and female, everybody in the country will prophesy about God. I will pour my spirit upon them. This is for the first time in the Bible that the concept of the early and the latter rain is applied to the church. I hope that you feel this this morning. By the way, we are going now one step further in the Bible. We are coming now to the New Testament. And we are taken to the book of Acts, chapter 2. The chapter that we read yesterday, if you remember. In his Pentecostal sermon, in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, Peter explains that Joel's prophecy, that is a threat, was fulfilled in the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. I'm sorry, I did not put here the text in front of us to read it, but you can see it. The complete prophecy from Joel chapter 2. Actually, Peter quotes, word by word, and he says, what you witness here that is happening at this time in Jerusalem, that we are speaking in different tongues, proclaiming the crucified Christ, and you are responding in your hearts to accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah. It's just the fulfillment of what Joel prophesied in chapter 2 of his, of, his, of his book. This is what actually the day of Pentecost is, is all about. The coming of the Holy Spirit, according to Peter, was possible because of the enthronement of Christ on the heavenly throne at the right hand of the Father, as we studied yesterday. We read yesterday that after the ascension of Jesus there to the heavenly places, there was something significant that happened in, in, in heaven. On the cross, Jesus defeated Satan, and he provided the redemption for the human race. What Adam had lost, now Jesus redeemed. Are you friends with me? Now he redeemed. Satan lost his power, he lost his authority, he lost his rulership over the planet Earth. Jesus redeemed the human race from, from Satan. However, when Jesus ascended there to the heavenly places, Jesus' acts on the cross, his redemption on the cross, had to be verified there in the heavenly places. And it was verified. Finally, Jesus was pronounced the only true ruler over the planet, planet Earth. At that moment, there was a transference of the authority from Satan to Jesus. By the way, nobody explained it better. We read this yesterday. Let me repeat once, once again. 
the statement of Ellen White is a reference to the day of Pentecost, was truly happening at that, at that time. In the book, you will see that in the book, the Acts of the Apostles, Ellen White says, Christ's ascension to heaven was the signal that his followers were to receive the promised blessing. For this, they were to wait before they entered upon their work. When Christ passed within the heavenly gate, he was enthroned amidst the adoration of the angels. As soon as this ceremony was completed, the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples in rich assurance, and Christ was indeed glorified, even with the glory which he had with the Father from all eternity. The Pentecostal outpouring was heaven's communication that the Redeemer's inauguration was accomplished. According to his promise, he has sent the Holy Spirit from heaven to his followers as a token that he has, as a priest and king, received all authority in heaven and on earth and was the anointed one over his people. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost. And we call it Pulse in the early the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Please, let's go slowly. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost fulfilled the first part of Joel's prophecy as the early rains. When we say, please, please, as I told you, I have to kiss you from the privilege, okay? Can you help me now? When we say that Pentecost marked the early rains, what do you mean? This is very important. The beginning of the rain season. It means that the beginning of the salvific activity of the Holy Spirit on earth. Please, you will see the application of that. If you can just have patience with me for next 20 minutes. The fulfillment of the second part of Joel's prophecy, which is the latter rain, is still in the future. A short time before the course of the probation, the book of Revelation indicated clearly I will reflect on that at the end of our study in Revelation 14 and Revelation 18. So the early rains happened on the day of Pentecost. What is that that we are waiting for? For the latter rains. And it will happen when? Just a short time before the close of the probation. Why? To save civilization. Actually, what truly happened on the day of Pentecost? There is one text that usually we do not talk too much about. Or when we read, we just read sporadically, we don't see any significance to this text. And that's the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 39. This is the comment of John who wrote the Gospel on the water of Jesus, about that water of life that will come out of the belly of everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. And John makes the comment, please pay attention, he says, but this Jesus spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. When? There's no Pentecost. Okay? 
Now, please pay attention. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given to us because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, please, let us pay pay attention to the two, three points that are pressed here, here in this text. Because there are two questions we have to answer. Number one, why couldn't the Holy Spirit come up on disciples before Jesus was glorified? And the second question is, the fact that the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, does it mean that the Holy Spirit was not on earth before the death of Christ? I know that we know the answer, but we never think when we put these two things together. And we are confused. So let's try to it seems clear in the Bible that the Pentecost was not, did not mark the first appearance of the Holy Spirit on earth. We know that. And I believe that each one of us can provide numerous examples from the Old Testament. By the way, the Old Testament indicates clearly that the Holy Spirit was present on earth physically at that time. Where is the Holy Spirit for the first time mentioned in the Old Testament? In very, very beginning, in verse 3 of chapter 1 of the book of Genesis. You know this text. I will not now go, go through this text. For the first time it's mentioned. But please pay attention to something else. In Genesis chapter 3, as God commissioned Noah to build the ark and to prepare himself for the coming flood. You remember that? At the same time as God was Working with Noah, what did he do else? What did he do else? He tried to convince the people on earth about what was coming. Because according to Peter, God does not want anybody to perish. Praise God. This is the God of the Bible. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants that everybody comes to repentance. That's why he did. What did God do? The Holy Spirit was struggling with every person, every human being on earth individually. Working through their conscience. Trying to soften their hearts. By the way, I like impartiality of prophecy. This is not against the Bible. Ellen White is telling us there are a number of people who really repented. They died before coming of the Christ. I, 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 like, I like that. There are people who responded. But then finally, the time came and God said, My spirit shall not strive with the human beings forever. Because their flesh, I'm giving them 120 years. Whenever we say it is the end, that end in God's eyes is always wrong. God always gives us a new chance. Praise God for a new chance. That's why I'm still today in the church, because of that always contempt that God gave me in my, in my life. Then we go to Psalm 51, 11. You remember David, after committing the terrible, terrible sin with Bathsheba. You remember that? You remember when the prophet came to him, telling him, you are that man. You remember that prayer of David. And now David recorded that prayer in Psalm 51. The core of that prayer was, search 
be next away from your presence. And don't take the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is working today. Take that for sure. But it's not immediately. But the Holy Spirit is able to focus you. We read in the prophet Isaiah chapter 63, 10, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Every time when we are talking about the grieving of the Holy Spirit, we go to Ephesians 4, 30. But this concept is taken from the Old Testament. It is before the day of Pentecost. The people were grieving God, God's Holy Spirit. In Jeremiah 36, Jeremiah is inviting the people of Israel when they come out of the exile to be faithful to God. And God promised, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you heart of flesh. Who will do that for you? And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit was working and struggling with people with regard to their salvation. But we read also in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit would equip certain individuals to perform special tasks. You can read about it, Moses. You can read about Joshua. You can read about Gideon. You can read about Samson. You can read about Hidagoth, etc., etc. We see how the Holy Spirit equips the church. Brothers, sisters, do you notice what is the key word that we see here? The Holy Spirit equips certain individuals. Can you, can you keep that in mind? We'll come to that just in a few moments. Equips certain individuals. But we also equip prophets for their prophetic ministry. Okay? However, although the Holy Spirit was present on earth since the creation and he works on behalf of salvation of human beings since the entrance of sin, his activity in the Old Testament times was gradual not too much reference to the Holy Spirit as we have in the New Testament. But the problem is this. And there is only one answer. What happened before the day of Pentecost? What happened? You can open the book of John. Who was the ruler over the planet Earth? Our planet Earth, who, to whom did it belong? Okay? You remember he took it from Adam. So this earth was Satan's territory. It was his kingdom. That's why, please, I, I apologize. Sometimes maybe uh, you can think that you can find better, better terminology. Please, English is your language. You are free to do it. But I'm saying, from our New Testament times, I hope I make you understand. The Holy Spirit is working underground in the Holy Places. That's why his work is crowded in this place, in, in, in secret. There is no public display of the work of the Holy Spirit as we have in the New Testament. Second thing, so the Holy Spirit could not come and operate in its fullness because Jesus was not yet glorified. What happened when Jesus was glorified? We saw it already that it was on the cross when Jesus died and achieved a post-resurrection inauguration. Actually, this event marked a new stage 
in the activities of the Holy, of the, of the Holy Spirit in the history of the, of the plan of salvation. It was after Jesus' death on the cross by which he defeated Satan and regained what was lost with Adam. And then after his post-resurrection glorification, he took his place on the heavenly throne where there was the transference of the authority from Satan up until him. When Jesus assumed his role as our king and our priest, he became legitimate ruler over the planet Earth. It is then that the Spirit came down in the full glory and power and began the fullness of his activity on the earth. Now you understand why. But please, we still have to clarify few points in these 10 minutes that is, that is left. Please, why did the Holy Spirit come on the day of Pentecost? Friends, please let us try spend these 10 minutes before lunch together. Because so many times I hear, yes, the Holy Spirit was present. But after this is the day of Pentecost, conversion started. Friends, there was conversion in the Old Testament. From the moment, from the moment when the holy, when, when the human beings fell into sin, immediately the Holy Spirit started working human beings. Because without the Holy Spirit, we cannot repent. We cannot brain the change of, of, of things. We cannot come back to God without, without the Holy Spirit. Are you seeing? This was the work of the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament time. And nothing with regard to that changed on the day of Pentecost. We saw it. David said, go on, God. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. We saw in Genesis, God says, my spirit does not forever strive in this place. Holy Spirit during the Old Testament times was striving with people, calling them to repentance. When people of Israel went to apostasy, God sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was working there. Of course, as we saw what Isaiah said, they were grieving the Holy Spirit. They refused the work of the Holy Spirit in, the, in their lives. Now, from what happened on the day of Pentecost, you see, on the day of Pentecost, we don't have the beginning of the work of the Holy Spirit and salvation yet. Something changed on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit continues to work with us. What changed is that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. Since this earth now became Jesus' place. Now, it became already, but not yet. Already, but not yet, okay? The Holy Spirit came down to empower and to equip disciples for the preaching of the gospel. by the Holy Spirit alone. You see, what in the Old Testament times was a privilege, I put, I put in the net, what was the privilege of certain individuals? Why? Because it was taken seriously. From the day of Pentecost, what was the privilege of certain individuals? From the day of Pentecost, is the privilege of Every individual Christian, you and me. This is what changed the Old Testament. I hope, I hope that this, this makes sense to you. You know what happened there at Pentecost? You know what happened there at Pentecost? You remember?
I thought of when Jesus fed 5,000 people, 4,000 people, hundreds of people were healed. And I followed Jesus, went to see at Damascus. I remember in Jerusalem the same thing. Saul crucified him, crucified. You know that. Friends, whenever people tell you about Thomas, just wait and the same people will tell you crucified. That, that, that's the case with the Christians. But then when Jesus was on the cross, the sun darkened. You remember? That was a terrible hour. And you read in the Gospels that Jesus was there. Reaching down, says, running home and say, he was Before John, we read that many of the Pharisees even believed Jesus. But they were afraid to publicly recognize Jesus and, and, and confess and accept him as the Messiah. And can you imagine as a result of that? The tombs were opened. And a strange number of people arose in the grave, entered the Jerusalem, telling people, the person that you crucified on the, on, the, on, the, on the cross. That was the Messiah. Look at him waiting, waiting for you. Who are you, people ask? I'm Samuel. Who are you? I'm Isaiah. Who are you? I'm Joshua. Are, are you friends with me? People are completely confused. You know, friends, people can understand intellectually. You don't need a college student for that. You can understand something. that you understand something intellectually does not mean that you repent and come back to God. So people were confused. The harvest was ready. <laughs> and it was on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. Equip the disciples. Tell them that these people that the Holy Spirit was present in the working that when that happened. The harvest Thousand people responded, you remember? Three thousand, five thousand, you remember? Jerusalem was crowded with the Christians and with the followers of Jesus, of Jesus. So when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, he came to empower and equip disciples for the preaching of the gospel and also to prepare the crops for the harvest. That was why the Holy Spirit came. What in the Old Testament times was the privilege of certain individuals. Since the Pentecost has been the privilege of every individual believer, my brothers and sisters, including you and me. No one of us in God's eyes is better or worse. Ah, somebody can have PhDs, somebody can work, ordinary work, and bring a faithful tithe to God and, and offering to secure God. We are all the same, friends. We are all the same. God's eyes, there is no person who is greater and a person who is smaller. We are all equal in God's eyes. We need the Savior. But it is only through the Holy Spirit, when we allow the Holy Spirit that works in us and through us, God can use us for his, for his glory. So the Pentecost changed nothing regarding the work of the Holy Spirit for salvation and healing. Nothing changed. What happened after the Pentecost that had been taking before the Pentecost? Are you friends with me? What changed was the Holy Spirit did not come on the day of Pentecost to, vi to fix 
spiritual deficiencies in the disciples. So many times I, I hear my dear brothers, sisters coming to me, why is it in our church we have many issues? And the Holy Spirit comes. You mean the latter way. When the Holy Spirit comes, we will all become holy. Hallelujah. Brother Robert, God says, the Holy Spirit comes, changes some, some chips in us, and suddenly become holy. Before I didn't talk to you, suddenly I become loving person, and I'm talking to you. Holy Spirit did in the day of Pentecost for them. No, they had to settle those issues before the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit did not came to change the disciples. Actually, the Holy Spirit changed the disciples. But that was not what the early reign was about. Are you praying for me? It had to happen before the, re the, re the, re the, re the reign changes. This happened before the outpouring of the, of the Holy Spirit. Now, please allow me to three minutes of flat field. Because we want to ask ourselves this question. Because tomorrow we are going more personal. We will see what the Holy Spirit means to us today. I hope you will not miss, miss tomorrow by this. Please let us conclude with our personal reflection. What is the reason that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost? To show to the new Jerusalem. Just to record. Why will the Holy Spirit come at the latter way before the close of the church? Is it because I'm now full of shame, I'm not interested in truth, and the Holy Spirit comes, everything will change. Nothing new. When you read the book of Revelation carefully, and I hope that we all have the same Bible, huh? and the Bible is the people who resisted the truth, who didn't care about the salvation. With the latter rain, nothing will change in that sense. They will stay the same. Actually, they will become even more stubborn in their resistance to the work of the Holy Spirit. Just one thing. The coming of the Holy Spirit at the time of the end as the latter rain is for the purpose of harvest. Please allow me. I hope I know you will not invite me to the water baptism. <laughs> okay. Friends, I lived in communist country. Before I left Yugoslavia, communists they wanted to do some church. They wanted to see how many people in the country and how many people are religious, how many people are not religious. But when people identify themselves that they were religious people, just one thing, what religion are you? They have to identify. In Yugoslavia, we had 10,000 celebrations. After consensus before communists, we had about 75,000 elders. In the capital of my today's country, Croatia, Zagreb, we had about four to 500 celebrations. According to the statistics, the communists, they got 
that come and tell you that I'm there. You're those people. You see, brothers and sisters, you are at your workplace. Look at your neighbor. Huh? I live in certain places, but thank God that you say, tell me, my neighbor was in the church with me, I don't know how many times. But there's nothing. I remember that medical doctor. Baptist doctor. Oh boy, I say, Lord, help me to be like him. How great this can be. But when we talk about the Sabbath, he says, Ryan says, we can talk for months, we can talk for weeks. I'm sorry, I don't see any sense of the Sabbath. And finally, let's stop talking to him. I see any argument does not work. But then Ellen White said, when the latter rain comes, what will happen? All those people that were being held back for many, many different reasons, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will do something on them, what used to be there. What our, where our logic did not work is actually the influence of the Holy Spirit work. Ellen White said, at that time, many people will come accept the truth, not because of the logic of the truth presented by the persuasion of the Holy Spirit. That's what the latter rain is all about. But my brothers and sisters, in order for you and me to be a part of that experience, we have to settle our relationship with the Holy Spirit today. And guess what we will see tomorrow, what, how? That's actually the next three days. It's the focus of my presentation. All of this up to this point was just mentioned. So please let me just finish with several, several of the, of, of the points. The final point that I want to make. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost to stay and never to leave. By the way, I put here the text, the last two lines from John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit will be with the disciples forever. I don't know where that idea came from. It's probably from the misunderstanding of the concept of the early and the latter rain, like two events. Many Adventists, they believe the Holy Spirit came, but we are waiting for the Holy Spirit to come today. I, I was given in one church, and there was a long series of presentations titled, The Second Coming of the Holy Spirit. The Second Coming. And I had a big argument with the pastor. When you are a guest, you can say whatever you want. What can I do when you are in the church? And I told the pastor, I know that Jesus came and he left. And he promised that he will come again. But where do you have in the Bible the second coming? Many Adventists live today hoping by their own righteousness, by their own goodness, by keeping of the law, paying tithes, regularly attending the church to somehow earn their marriage before God and be faithful Adventists. But when the Holy Spirit comes, we'll still make the situation difficult. But today we are on our own. Some people even forget on the Holy Spirit. So when, the, when uh, we have the cause of the probation, we have be, to become so sterile because we will live without mediator that we can go to the time of the great tribulation. That's a doctrine never came from God. It came from the enemy of human freedom. 
just the two teachings that you just heard on origin, that's not the teaching of the Bible. My brothers, sisters, let me my final point that I want to make. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. He came to stay all up to the second coming of, the, uh, of our Savior Jesus Christ. With the day of Pentecost, we have the beginning of the rain season. Should I repeat one more time? I didn't hear any amen. With the day of Pentecost, better say amen. I will keep you longer. But okay. And it is the day of Pentecost, the early rain. We have the beginning of the rain season. With the latter rain, we will have the conclusion of the rain season. And I can say, thank you, Lord, that we live at the time of the rain season. And I believe as we are starting now, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. Before I came here to preach, I said, the Holy Spirit, please be with me as I'm proclaiming this message. I want to see the visible, visible presence of the Holy Spirit in my audience. That's what I'm praying. Praise God for the rain season. But I know when you leave this place, I will say, how does this work? And how does it work personally in my life? See you tomorrow. That's what we'll try to understand. May God bless you. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the promise of the latter rain season. I thank you for the great, that great gift that you have given to us. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came to work in power and majesty to be with each one of us. Where we are struggling with our everyday life situation, with our struggles with sin, with our struggles with deformities of our character. Realizing more and more how powerless we are and how much we depend on you. Oh, Holy Spirit, please come. We know that you are in our lives, but please show yourself in a wonderful way and help us that when we leave this camp meeting, that we can live as the people who has experienced Jesus Christ with a first-hand experience during these days. Oh, Lord, we are waiting for the day when the Holy Spirit will conclude the work of the preaching of the gospel. And finally, we will see our Savior face to face. And finally, when we will see each other in your kingdom. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your incredible gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we pray all of this in the name of the one who made possible the coming of the Holy Spirit, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray all of this in his precious name. Amen. May God bless you in the rest of the day.